Good morning. If you'd look at the passage that was read from Luke's Gospel, um, or if you can hold it in your mind, um, I'm ignoring the first paragraph, which comes at the end of a section about worry, and I'm just going to look at the six verses from verse 35, and I'll give the, I'll give the address, the heading, Be Ready. It's not very inventive, I've just taken it from the passage. So these six verses are here in the middle of Luke's gospel. Being caught by surprise uh, can be pleasant. It can also be devastating. It can signal uh, a life-changing moment. It can be personal. It can be widespread. 9-11. It seems as if the whole world looked on as the two towers, so much social media was recording as it happened, the two towers in New York, in Manhattan, collapsed. Well, the other day I walked in and Margot said, guess what, Sam's been made house captain. (laughs) Hadn't even thought of a Sam 17 border at Riverview. And it's a big thing to be made house captain when you're uh, in your particular house in in, in, uh, that part of the, the school. Two or three Fridays ago, I uh, flew to Melbourne to uh, be part of a funeral uh, for somebody who's, I had a bit to do with him, but his wife was kind of, I would not identify, but um, anyway, she was very helpful to me when I was in Melbourne. Um, He had gone to a dinner at uh, University of Melbourne, just across the road from where they lived. The dinner had finished. Uh, He uh, walked home and... uh, she said to herself, he, Jim seems to be late. And she opened the door and there he was on the doorstep. He'd gone. It can be a life-changing moment. It can be devastating. It can be pleasant. But it nonetheless is some form of surprise. And the message of the six words, six verses from Jesus' teaching is about readiness. Now, these six verses actually contain two little parables. A parable is simply a way of speaking in picture language that might help the person who invents the parable, who's telling the story, to make his point, which is what Jesus is doing here. The first parable, there are two parables here. The first parable begins in, at verse uh, 36, where the word like introduces the picture that Jesus is about to describe. The first verse, I believe, in the passage, verse 35, is what he's, try- what he's attempting to say. And the f- second parable is a one-verse parable where he talks about um, an, uh, the owner of the house. Uh, if he'd known he was going to be robbed, he would have made sure that the doors were locked, etc. He would have made sure that didn't happen. So the first par- parable that Jesus tells is, um, is, 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 is an urging of his listeners to be like people who are servants. Uh, the master has gone off to a wedding banquet. Uh, he wants them to be ready. He's not sure when he'll come home. Um, he wants the lights on. Keep your lamps burning is another way of saying keep the lights on. Don't fall asleep. Uh, keep the telly going. Whatever it is, just stay awake. And uh, when he knocks on the door, he wants it to be that they will spring to their feet 
and uh, open the door. Be ready, be ready in an instant. Uh, But it could catch you by surprise in the sense that you're not too sure when it's going to happen. It's going to happen. You're not too sure when it's going to happen. And then at the end of the first parable, there's the use of the phrase, it will be good for those servants. Uh, Very deliberate repeating of the phrase, it will be good for those servants. And he gives uh, two, he attaches two um, kind of reasons for why it will be good for those servants. Um, It will be good for those servants because when the master comes, the ones who have been ready to spring to life, open the door, he comes in, he will then reverse the roles. He will then dress himself as a servant and he will get them to recline at the table and notice it's very first century, not sit at the table, recline at the table and he will dress himself as a servant and he will wait on them. So he will reverse the roles. It will be good for those servants because the roles will then be reversed and then it will be good for those servants if making the point, emphasising the point that they must nonetheless be ready at any moment. If he comes early in the night, if he comes at midnight, if he comes just before dawn, nonetheless the light should be on, they should be dressed, they should be ready and uh, it will be good for them. That reward will apply to those who have been ready like that. And then the second little parable, um, you see if the owner of the house had known what time the thief was coming, he would have made sure that Windows were locked, the doors was, doors were locked. And, and in, in other words, he would have taken remedial action so that the thief did not get away with uh, what it was he intended to, to do, his, his mischief. Now, if you take the first phrase and you take the last phrase of the six verses and make them a sentence, then, then, then you have what Jesus is saying. Be dressed ready for service, keep your lamps burning, and then jump ahead to the end because the son of man will come at an hour you do not expect him now that's what Jesus is saying and the two stories he's invented the two parables albeit brief um, make the point that help him to make the point that he is made quite plainly uh, by by that sentence now it's not hard to comprehend there's nobody in this room that can't if you're still awake there's nobody in this room who can't understand what Jesus is saying to us here at all times be ready be ready for what be ready for what is it to be blunt is he, he just talking about our death just be ready so that doesn't you don't know when it's going to happen poor Jim came home from the dinner <laughs> collapsed that was it be ready, be ready. How many, how many folk wake up and the partner seems to be sleeping and no, they've gone. So be ready. It can happen at any time. Accidents. A bit of plaque falls off the artery and travels to brain or heart. We know it happens. It can happen at any moment. Is that what Jesus is talking about? Now, if that's what he's talking about, I can sit down now, I'm finished, because made the point, haven't we? Now, I'm not too sure that that's all there is to it. And in fact, I'm not even sure that this part of Luke 12 is what Jesus is... It might be incidentally, but I actually think there's more to what Jesus is saying here than that. I don't think what we're reading here fits into that simple, confronting, but nonetheless simple scenario. I think what I want to do is um, look at where this fits into what Jesus is saying. This is halfway through his gospel. 
through the Gospel of Luke. This is chapter 12. Luke's got 24, 24 chapters. Now, Jesus does talk about being ready for the end of the age. There's a number of passages in the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where Jesus talks about being ready for the coming of the Son of Man, the end of the age, wars and rumours of wars and so forth. Disease, terrible forebodings, earthquakes, etc., etc. Be ready. The Son of Man will come at an hour you least expect. And don't try and, try, don't try and predict it. Nobody knows. Now, there's passages like that. Mark 13, just before the the crucifixion stories, etc. Mark, uh, Matthew 24, great long chunks of teaching of Jesus about being ready for the end of the age. And there's even a passage like that here in Luke, a little bit more muted, but here in Luke, I think it's Luke 21. I don't think this quite fits that. Incidentally, it may be related to it. I think he's talking about a different scenario here. Now, what's going on? What is happening here in Luke chapter 12? One of the, as we, when we go in to read a gospel, one of the things we're going to keep very strongly in the back of our minds, right through Jesus' three-year public ministry, he is, he, he is being opposed fiercely and furiously. Jesus, this is no, there's no romantic aspect to Jesus' public ministry at all. None at all. This is not a walk in the park. For Jesus, From the very beginning, way back in chapter 3 of Mark's gospel, he tells us the Herodians went out to plot his death with the Pharisees. Now Jesus is aware of all this. Now here in chapter 12, just before we come into chapter 12, which we looked at part of it last week, but leave that to one side. Here in chapter 12, we're in the midst of something that's unfolding. At the end of chapter um, 11 there had been a fairly fierce encounter between Jesus and the Pharisees. We're told at the beginning of chapter 12 that now there's a huge crowd around Jesus. Luke says thousands. Now we know for a fact there's no, there's no amplification system in those days and we know evidently experiments have done that the, average, the normal human voice can reach a crowd of about 500 if they're scattered reasonably regularly around them. So many in the crowd would not have been hearing this teaching. But a number in the crowd would have been hearing this teaching including the Pharisees who we read at the end of chapter 11, when Jesus had spoken to them and had this furious encounter with them, it's called the six woes. He says, woe to you Pharisees. And he just accuses them six times of um, a terrible, terrible hypocrisy, playing games with religion. He accuses them of, of living one way themselves and telling everybody else to live in another way. And particularly accuses them of being harsh to the poor. Now, in this crowd of, of, of very large crowd are people who are just interested, just attracted to this unusual bloke who's turned up on the scene. There's the disciples themselves, which is bigger than the 11, 12, but a smallish group. And it actually says, it actually says Jesus is particularly talking to his disciples but in the crowd are those who are determined when Jesus left there, the Pharise- left there, the Pharisees and teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to barrage him with questions that they might catch, catch him out. So there's, the crowd is made up of three ingredients. 
And there is Jesus teaching the things that, like for instance, we talked about money last week, teaching the things that he teaches. And this section we're talking about, be ready section that we're talking about now. Now, who are the Pharisees? Let me remind you, the Pharisees were a very significant group. They were the religious, they were the clergy of the day. They were the teachers. They were the conservative teachers. And they led the opposition to Jesus. Now, that's scary, I believe. And they are wealthy, indifferent, status seekers, promote themselves as purists and conservatives, but are hip. At, the, at the very root and centre of their life on the whole is a deep, deep burning hypocrisy. And Jesus accuses them time and time again, stop playing games with religion. Stop pretending to be my father's people when you are not. So they, they don't like that. Who likes being called out like that? So they oppose him fiercely. And then he goes on to speak and I think what he's saying to his disciples, and the crowd, some in the crowd are hearing it as well, he's actually saying to the disciples, watch them. These are warnings to his disciples, don't be fooled by these people, do not be taken in by them. First, first thing he says when he's talking to the crowds, he says, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. That's how chapter 12 begins. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. Then he goes on and he says, now don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of them. They might be able to do harmful things to you physically. You be afraid of the one who can determine your eternal destiny. If you're going to be afraid of anybody, he's not saying be afraid of anybody, but he's just saying if you're going to be afraid, be afraid of the one who really counts. Don't be afraid of these guys. And then he says to them, and don't listen to them, basically he's saying don't listen to them when they talk about me because they will not be telling the truth. Then he speaks, as we saw last week, he speaks about money. Don't make money your God. Your life does not consist of merely the things you possess. Your life is more than that. You matter to the one who made you and who loves you. And that's why I'm here, basically, he's saying to them. Then he talks about worry. What makes people worry? You know what makes people worry, he says? They're worried about their things. Build up your treasure in heaven. That's how we began our reading this morning. Build up your treasure in heaven. Nothing can attack that. No GFC can attack your superannuation in heaven. It's safe there. No thieves, no moths, no, no, no corruption. And then he talks about what he talks about. You be ready. You be ready. You, you be prepared. So as the editors of this translation of, of Luke, of, of the Bible, uh, put into the, uh, to the heading above the section that we're, from which we're reading, they call it warnings and encouragements. What we're reading is warnings and encouragement. So Jesus is warning his followers to be aware of that take on religion. Don't fall for it. It is full of danger. It's deadly danger. Be open to the truth. Use your own mind. I have given you the Holy Spirit. He will lead you into all truth. And when you're standing alongside God, 
Don't mistake him for somebody else. Be open to see what God is doing in the world. See, what he was confronted with, here is Jesus doing what he did, teaching what he taught, healing the way he healed, and the Pharisees look at him and they say, oh, you know who he is? He's demon-possessed. He doesn't come from God. He comes from Satan. Now, that is taking white and calling it black. That is taking truth and calling it fake. Don't listen to that kind of dishonest thinking. Jesus is imploring us, he's imploring his disciples to use their noggins, to use their brains. See the things that God is doing in front of you and don't let others fool you into coming into false conclusions. Like the Roman soldier said at the foot of the cross, surely this man is the son of God. Be open to the truth as God has revealed it to us. Let the evidence about Jesus lead you to the correct conclusion. That's what he's saying to his disciples, warning them against the so-called men of religion who are leading, who lead, would, would lead them and everybody else to the very opposite. So it's an encouragement. Be ready Keep the lights on, as it were. Now, Jesus is not saying never go to bed. Clearly, it's figurative language. It's poetic language. It's picture language. What he's saying is being ready for the coming into the presence of God, for the, for the encounter we all have. The encounter we have with God every day of our life. It's not just wait for the end. Jesus is saying, let the things that I teach you, the wisdom I show you, the way of thinking about life's issues, the day-by-day living you live, let, let the things I teach you about those things, let that be, let that be what is the life-changing pattern of your behaviour. Teachings about the poor. Twice. In these few verses, 20, 30 verses, he accuses the Pharisees of ignoring the poor. Wealthy Pharisees ignoring the poor. And then when he, in, in, at the end of the section about worry, he says, sell what you have, give to the poor. There is a preoccupation in the teaching of Jesus, especially as Luke promotes Jesus to us, with the poor. It becomes almost a litmus test of our Christianity. Are we concerned about those who have a little? Are we concerned about the little ones in this world? Because he was. His very first sermon, he talks about the little ones. You will know that the Son of Man is in your midst because he cares about the poor and others who have nothing much. Be, 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 be on your guard about money and the way it can wreck your life. St. Paul, in one of the readings we had last week, St. Paul called greed idolatry. Jesus himself calls money mammon. What, be, be very careful about money. Let it, let it not be a substitute f- for something that should be filled by Almighty God himself. And it's an encouragement always about using our brains. 
And don't always go with the mob. Sometimes the mob's wrong. The mob put Jesus to death. The religious leaders put Jesus to death. Does that mean we've got no hope? No, not at all. But allow him to be our guide. And his promise is, I have given you the Holy Spirit. He says at the beginning of Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 12. Don't worry about what you're going to say if they take you and rough you up. The Holy Spirit will be, will be with you and he will give you the words to say, I will be with you. I will be with you. So make sure our personal encounter with Jesus is at the very heart of who we are as men and women. Nothing else defines us as much as our personal relationship with him. And about reorienting our passions. What is it that makes you tick? What is it that makes me tick? What are our real passions? What would you give up almost anything for? What defines you as a human being? I don't know what defines you and you don't know what defines me. We all know what defines us though. And Jesus demands to be allowed to help redefine what really matters to us. It is about, quite simply, being ready, having the lights on, being dressed ready for service is about taking Jesus seriously in daily life. And incidentally, that means that if you do go off in the middle of the night, you will be ready. You could be asleep. You could be comatose. Who knows what's going to happen at the end for any of us. But if we have daily taken him seriously, we are ready Our lamps are burning, we're dressed. No matter when you come, Lord, at the beginning of the night, in the middle of the night, just before dawn, I am ready. I am ready to meet you. And yes, that means, so be it, you take me when it's your time and your will. But let's, I want to end with that wonderful reversal of roles in the parable. What's it remind you of? You know, it will be good for those people if when the master comes, the master will come in and he will reverse the roles. He will dress himself as a servant and he will get them to sit down the master will get them to sit down at table, recline at table, and he will serve them. What's it remind you of? It reminds us of that wonderful moment in the upper room at the end of his life. And Peter wouldn't, Peter says, Oh, you can't do that to me. And what did Jesus do? He dressed himself as a servant. He got down on his haunches, he got down on his hands and knees, he took a, a towel and he wrapped it round his waist. And I'm your master and Lord, he says, and look what I'm doing for you. And what, of course, it's prefiguring his death for them. And it's prefiguring how they're meant to treat one another, love one another, as I'm now loving you. If the master does it, then you should do it. And then what what was he doing? He was going out to get things ready for their eternity. He was going out to die on the cross. 
And so he got down, he, the master and lord of the universe, got down on his haunches, put a towel around his waist, and he washed the disciples' feet. The master dressed as the servant and served his servants. That's precisely what Jesus does, has done. It's, it's so countercultural. It's so different to the way our world understands life and gives meaning to things. Power, prestige, popularity, celebrity. All that's a figment. All that's a figment. It'll just be gone in a flash. All that matters is that we have taken him seriously in daily life. So when it all runs out, He'll be taking us seriously. Amen.